Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my friend and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media we like, like a video game, movie, music, album, or podcast musical. My name's Tim Bloom. I'm Cody Morin. And I'm Cozy Hanula. Um, folks, I think we all know what's on our mind. Um, it was a particularly monumentous weekend this past weekend. Um, of course, you both know what I'm talking about. Very worried where this is going. C- certainly do. <laughs> I don't understand why you'd be worried. It was a joyous occasion for everyone in the world. Um, and I think it would be remiss for us not to spend a good portion of the podcast discussing our favorite moments from Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee this past weekend. Um, <laughs> of course, I don't need to tell you because you're aware, but Queen Elizabeth has been queen for, some would say, too long. Um, what, but one or I've, two years. I've, yeah, one or two years. 70 years, apparently. Um <laughs> Which is, some would say, too long to be alive, let alone be queen, but here we are. Um, and so I just wanted to talk through what, what everyone's favorite moments were, and I figured we could go one by one. So, Cozy, maybe we'll start with you. What was your favorite moment from the Platinum Jubilee this weekend? My favorite moment, and not the only moment I'm aware of, is sure. when the smallest prince child, whose name I don't know, sure, um, good start, was basically having a little bit of a a temper tantrum but like a proper british temper tantrum at one point he put his like finger on his nose and did like a little like wiggle of his fingers like i've never seen a like child do in real life yeah um and his mom who's princess kate i think um i don't i can't track all their names i don't know or titles or whatever uh um (laughs) it's probably like duke westchestershire of house yeah, middleton or something kept trying to um get him to not do that but it was not successful and he just kept kind of being a little brat and it was great well you stole one of the three moments that i saw on twitter which was yes prince louis fully just covering his mom's mouth as she tried to scold him yeah. um, which is hilarious <laughs> gumption from a four-year-old truly yep. a little baby joffrey baratheon in the making um yep. so that was good to see cody what was your favorite moment from the queen's jubilee this weekend uh, well, there is literally only a single moment that I even heard about this event, which was that uh, Kim Jong-un send his, sent his uh, congratulations to Queen Elizabeth on the Platinum Jubilee. So, Wow. Your favorite it feels moment weird was to a say dictator. that my uh, yeah, it feels weird to say that my favorite <laughs> moment is that the leader of North Korea said congrats, but uh, here we are. I'm not gonna lie. When I thought through the segment, I truly thought neither of you would know any moments and would just make things up. But it, it's borderline <laughs> funnier that you just know one or two things. To be clear, I only knew a few things. I knew exactly three things. So I figured if I made you both go first, um, that would save room for me. Um, so that's cozy stole one of them which was prince louis fully just going full diva as like a three-year-old or whatever he is (laughs) which is just just great great in like a truly depressing way but also hilarious and fitting um number two was the queen having tea with paddington bear um of course you know the cartoon Uh uh-huh the definitely real cg bear the very real bear um the queen had tea with Paddington Bear. Um, there's a picture of the queen and Paddington Bear having tea. Um, 
I don't know a lot about British culture. I know a lot about British soccer culture, but I don't know a lot about, like, British culture. I didn't know that Paddington Bear was a big enough cultural institution to be a relatively major part of a nationwide celebration as a feature player. Like, I don't think Boris Johnson got one-on-one tea with the Queen, but Paddington Bear did. For a second, I thought you were going to say, I don't think Boris Johnson got one-on-one tea with Paddington. I don't think Paddington would want to have one-on-one tea with Boris (laughs) Johnson. I I wouldn't think so. No, Boris Johnson's too busy partying. I really thought that was going to go the other way. Paddington seems too nice and friendly. Yeah, he seems a little too too kind. So that that was one thing. The second one is the Queen felt sort of ill because she's about a thousand years old after (laughs) the first event. And so instead of... There's apparently an event in the real world in 2022 where they load the queen into a gold carriage made of gold uh, and parade her through the streets. However, she wasn't feeling well enough. So instead, there was a hologram of the queen in the carriage. No, there was not. Yes, this is real. Absolutely not. This is real. That waved at people as... It went past, and people waved back at it. People lined the streets to wave at a hologram and a gold carriage. And if there's nothing that makes me think that we are at the end of the world, this that I think is it. Or that, like, I've died and gone to hell already. Um, it's, it's that people lined the streets to wave at a picture in the gold, like... The appropriate response is to attack the carriage and steal the gold, not to wave at the hologram. <laughs> like, I just don't. So that's how, all. How convincing is this hologram? I mean, you'll have to judge. It's not supposed to be convincing. Like, it looked, it was like a young queen. It was like a. Oh, yeah. sh- I see. It was like a, I don't know how young. Not, I mean, you know. Oh, I'm looking at this now. Yeah, that is not yeah, a convincing it, it looks like her current from, like, queen. Her coronation, like something yeah. very long time ago, not like. <laughs> Probably. coronation maybe i maybe i don't know if she, she was pretty young when she was coronated i think it was least, her uh, photographed when they invented penicillin probably um i made that to make a joke about how old she is but she literally might have been alive when they invented penicillin now that i'm doing the oh, math I, i'm head. pretty sure she certainly was oh uh, god but i mean i guess it's not any different for me people reacting to uh an inanimate object is not a whole lot different to me than uh, my big pet peeve, which is people clapping at the end of movies. Sure. So, you know. It's it's. Similar. I think we were already on that track that you're worried about, so. There was a story about um, Joe DiMaggio where his, I'm not sure exactly what small town his, like, family is from, um, but he had, like, planned this big trip there. And he couldn't make it because he got sick. So that he sent, like, his, like, a representative from his, like, PR team went. And people lined the streets to get, like, their be- their baseballs signed by a representative of Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> they <laughs> were... So, they were, like, so... They obviously were a little disappointed it wasn't Joe DiMaggio. But, like, they were, like... There were still huge crowds. And they had, like... Like done so much like renovations and like cleaned up the town and all these things in preparation for Joe DiMaggio to be there this was like the highlight of this town for like years and Joe DiMaggio got sick and they were like thrilled that even like his like representative came yeah but here's what you have to remember 
Joe DiMaggio mostly played baseball in the 1940s. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Like, in the 1940s, there's, like, you know, there's no other events. Like, there's no other... Anyone in the world in, like, who was lining the streets to wave at the hologram of the Queen today in the year of our Lord 2022 could have been at home, like, watching Severance. And instead, they were waving at a picture of someone who doesn't matter. And, like... You know, so I don't know. And maybe, you know, as a resident PR guy, maybe I deserve a parade. Maybe a small town deserves to clean up for me. I don't know. I don't see the problem in that. Uh, yeah, it was this was when Joe DiMaggio was 78. Um, wow. And it was a small village in Sicily. That is where his parents <laughs> were born. So I uh, see. It's like a it's like a hometown boys mm. is back in town. I'm pretty sure we grew yeah. up in Cottage Grove, and there was fully a parade for the guy that played Stifler in American Pie. So I don't know that we can really like <laughs> get super... our, our big claim to fame. Yeah, one of the three or four. None. That's the biggest one. So that tells you enough about the other two or three. Uh, well, speaking of jub- jubilee, um. Cody. That's where you're going to go with? You're going to stick with that? Yep. Cody, last time I pitched <laughs> sure. you uh, a bunch of different albums. You sure did. Uh, yes, specifically you pitched me four albums uh, in order, which were Phoebe Bridger's album Punisher, Rit Momney's album Her and All of My Friends, Frank Ocean's album Blonde, and Kendrick Lamar's album Good Kid, Mad City. Correct. Three or four very similar albums. Yes, very similar in every way. Um, but yeah, uh, I listened to each of these albums roughly like two times. Sure. Uh, I first listened to each of them kind of in the way that I typically listen to music, which is when I'm like driving somewhere like to work or mowing the lawn doing yard work like mm-hmm. which we've talked about in the past that typically a lot of my music that I listen to is a little bit more upbeat for those activities <laughs> yep. to kind of like help me set the pace of those activities as opposed to the the sort of music that's like sit and have a drink and really take in the music mm-hmm. you're not like mowing the lawn to, to CBB <laughs> right. <laughs> um so, uh some of this music was a little different than that, but we'll yep. I'll I'll think I'll just jump in album by album. Uh I might like it might be kind of scattered when I go through the albums, but uh we'll we'll start we'll just go in the order you pitched them to me. Cool. Which as you noted to me, was uh, that you pitched them in the order that you thought that I was least to most likely to gnaw them in the end. Yes, I I don't know that I feel as confident about that after our discussion, but that was my original thought, yes. Uh, Yeah, that's fair, given our discussion. But yeah, so Phoebe Bridger's album Punisher, um, my first impressions... Mm-hmm. Were that it was overall, it was kind of like quieter and slower than I expected going into it, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still like fit in pretty well to like my indie preferences for music. Um, yeah. 
you know, something that I can like comfortably zone out to these songs and do stuff while I'm listening to them. And it's got like enough of a rhythm and a beat to carry along with it. Um, you know, it's got a female vocalist, which is always a bonus for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's typically a plus for me in music for whatever reason. I just tend to like the tone and sound of like female vocals more. Mm-hmm. Um, it had like occasional bits that felt almost kind of like haunting or dark, um, like outros of some songs I noticed where like, there's a moment where like a note changes to a note that's just like a little bit off mm-hmm. that I really liked. Um, and my, a couple of my favorite songs on this album were garden song. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the like muted guitar that plays throughout the background of that whole song. Mm-hmm. And then Kyoto, which is like much more in line with music that I would typically listen to, like with that upbeat tone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then I sit down, I sat down to actually like listen to the words and I followed along with like the lyrics a bit. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like a lot of these albums, uh, <laughs> There's a lot more, you had said it was kind of like melancholic, depressing in a way, and I can mm-hmm. definitely hear that in <laughs> the songs. Yep. Um, you know, the, uh, like, Kyoto, I it, it's like a very big contrast between, like, the tone of the mm-hmm. song compared to, like, what she's singing about, which is, like really complicated feelings towards her father. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of lines that like draw a picture of her feelings towards him, but then like contradict each other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, I really, I really liked that about that song. That's one of the things that made me really like that song was that contrast that she had in it. Yeah. Um, Kyoto is the big like single from this album that I think okay. is that people really latched onto. And is, I think it was like the lead single and it's the one uh, she always introduces it at concerts as this is the one for the dads in the crowd. Um, and it's, <laughs> uh, again, a song about her estranged father. <laughs> right. Um, and, and yeah, it is, it's totally true that like the upbeat, it has a sort of like a do, 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 do. Like it's a very upbeat song. And then like, there are lines like, I want to kill you unless you beat me to it. And like, right. <laughs> like uh, pretty like aggressive, depressing, uh, maybe not depressing is not exactly the right word, but like aggressively sad yes. um, lines. And that is, that is, it's definitely the most juxtaposition in the album for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's um, when I was reading through the lyrics, it had some like notes from her on it. And she had noted that for that song, she, initially wrote this one as a ballad first like Mm -hmm. most of her other songs but said that at that point she was so sick of recording slow songs yeah that she turned it into this instead and i think it really worked Mm -hmm. um and then most a lot of the other songs are slower again yeah um like garden song um 
but yeah, I I mean, she talks about like relationships. She talks about um, she was like a super fan of I think it's Elliot Smith, and Correct. so she has a song. The title song on the album is about him, um, which he was famously uh, committed suicide slash maybe probably not murdered. Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not an expert on all things Elliot Smith, so don't ask me. Yeah. Um but like tackling a lot of big ideas like lack of like faith and beliefs and things, like wanting to believe in something but not having anything that she feels like she can jump in and believe in. I think that was Chinese satellite she sings about that. Yeah. Um so like she tackles a lot of really big topics in these songs. Um but I think does it all in it's a very the album sounds very nice if like quiet and fits that like indie vibe that you hear a lot on like the current and things like that but uh, yeah I think the 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 like musicality of this album so like Phoebe Bridgers vocally is like when again it's why i compared her to like first aid kit when you were like i just like this sound mm-hmm. it's like her voice just sort of like works for me in that way of like yeah. i will at least sort of like basically any song that she puts out mm-hmm. because it just sort of like tickles my brain in a way that like uh works for me but i think this album musically is way more in depth like you called out the like individual like little notes which is there's lots of again her first album is like very bare and very like simple band simple uh arrangements and things like that this uses a lot of like backing synths it uses a lot of like Mm -hmm. very subtle little um production notes the thing elliot smith was famous for god there's a term for this but he was famous for like double recording his songs so he would record himself singing it twice and then play them both so like he was his own backing singer oh okay um and phoebe bridgers does that in almost every one of these songs Mm -hmm. um and it that i think that gives it a lot of that like haunted feel of like it's the same voice singing the same notes you can barely tell that there are two tracks unless you're really listening for it, but it gives it this sort of like ethereal quality yeah. um, that I think works really well. And yeah, it is yeah. like musically Chinese satellite is the one that like, there's a transition from the like bridge after the first verse into the second verse where like the drums and guitar kick in that yep. like, is like, and, like ASMR for me. Come in and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, like makes the ha- hair on the back of my neck stand up every time. <laughs> yeah, and then um, there's like I think one other song that's like more upbeat again. But then her the last song on the album, um, uh, she's singing about like how evangelicals use the common phrase, like the end is near and Mm -hmm. is like speculating that maybe they're right. And the song like ends in this really chaotic manner with like different instruments trying to take over and drown out the song. And Mm -hmm. um, I I like that kind of stuff in music, like the, the like more interesting things that people do with songs like that. Yeah. I love that song. And that's a very, um, 
Cody, have you seen Inside from Bo Burnham? Uh, I have not yet. All right, you should watch Inside. I'm not going to pitch it because we already talked about it on the podcast, but you should yeah. for sure watch Inside. Um, there's a song called That Funny Feeling that Phoebe Bridgers actually covers and is very similar to I Know the End, or, or the, the end of I Know the End is very... Um, it's not surprising that she covered that funny feeling because they're very much about the same topics of like disassociation and uh, like a feeling of detachment and pessimism from like the world. And I think, again, that like juxtaposition of like this sort of quiet, melancholic sadness ended with her just sort of like screaming <laughs> for like <Yeah>. 45 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Um, you know. It doesn't sound good in a nutshell. If I was going to try to sell someone on the album and I had 45 seconds of audio to <laughs> pitch them, I wouldn't. that wouldn't be at the top of the list. Yeah, probably but, not the one to pick. No, but in the context of the album, of being like the last thing of the last song after this album, I think it works really well. And and just in the context of that song, too. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't have... I don't have a ton of other thoughts on this album, so mm -hmm. um, if you uh, didn't have anything else. No, the only other thing I would add, um, I love Punisher. Like, I love the slower songs in general. Yeah. A Chinese Satellite really works for me from a music standpoint. And then I I think, like, I listened to Garden Song Kyoto a lot when I first listened to it. And now I'm, like, sick of them. Those are the yeah. Garden Song Kyoto and I Know the End. The three you called out are the three That's singles on the album. <laughs> okay. Um and, like, so they're the ones I listen to a lot and then got sort of sick of them. And now, like, when I listen to it, I often will skip to Punisher and just listen, like, track 4 through 10 or 4 through 11. Okay. Um, because I'm, I've am i overplayed myself on the first two. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the, like, slow songs throughout just, like, really, really work for me. Um, I did want to call out that she, I mean, she writes her own music, but as with any artist like has co-writers for a lot of it um her two most common co-writers are connor oberst who is the lead singer of bright eyes okay. and marshall vore who is her drummer um oh yes both of them are her ex-boyfriends also yeah um and there are songs about Marshall in this album that he also sings and plays on um which is yeah, I very I can't remember which song that was but I do remember noting that um, Yeah, I see you is the song. Yes. Yeah, about her about the drummer and like the relationship they had and how they split up and were apart for a while and now we're just good friends. Yeah, and it's very um, um it's very funny to like hear him uh, you know, I watched her performance at Coachella that he was like playing in, and she's like, "This one's about Marshall," and then like goes in and plays it, and he's like singing along to the lyrics of her being like, "I hate your mom." Um, yeah, and it's it's uh, yeah. So I don't I don't have a point there, but I think it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, the only other point I had is I like when people use weird instruments in songs, which yeah. is I'll get to on uh, one of our later albums. Mm -hmm. uh, but Graceline 2 has some banjo in it, and I uh, I love a good banjo in music. So It sure does. Lots of strings on this album, broadly. Lots of violin, lots of, like, upright bass stuff. And horns in Kyoto, which I'm also a fan of. So Yeah, and I know the end. Lots of horns there, too. Uh-huh. 
But yeah, so I think uh, let's move on to album number two. I'll give my yaws or nas at the end. Of course. Um, but number two uh, was the album Her and All of My Friends by Rit Momney. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first impressions when I first listened to it were that there is a lot of uniqueness across the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can definitely understand why you had a very <laughs> Struggled hard time to get any words out. the genre. <laughs> Your avant-garde, post-pop, electronic, poppy, indie, heavy, auto-tune synth <laughs> that I had written down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can see that. Accurate, uh, right? Yep, very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other first impression was off of the first song, which was, wow, this album is going to have a really bad recording quality. <laughs> turns out that that was just the first song that's like a minute long. So uh-huh. <laughs> It's hard. It's truly hard to know, knowing who he was at this time, whether that was a choice or whether that was like a song <laughs> recorded in a bedroom. Yeah. Uh, that just is the way it is. I could very easily see either and maybe both. Yeah, it could definitely be both. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, every, as I listen to it more, like every song feels very different from the next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not a lot of like sameness between them. And then like, I appreciate kind of the like weirdness of some of the music. Um, mm-hmm. he's in his writing. He's very honest about like dark places he's been in his life. He sings a lot about. Um, like how hard of a time he has getting over um, like an ex uh, Mm -hmm. that is from his perspective seems totally fine getting over him and moving on and Mm -hmm. he like can't get past it. Um, You know, I like some of his lines that are like sad, um, but they, they definitely make me think about how I talk to people. He has a line in one of his songs, um, On Love, which is, he says, all the people who've told me that love will make me whole, love was with them in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, like, those kind of feelings that, like, you know, people not having, like, as much empathy as they think they do for someone mm-hmm. who's in a dark place. Yeah, he has um, a, you know, I pitch this as like an angsty 18-year-old album, which it is, but like yeah. he has a a surprising amount of insight for an angsty mm-hmm. 18-year-old that I think makes it not come across as abrasively as um some other albums that I may pitch in the future from angsty 18-year-olds. <laughs> you got some rise against for me or something? Oh, a different kind of, you'll see. You'll oh, see. okay, good. <laughs> um yeah i hit like all of his songs are not particularly happy and he actually (laughs) jokes about that in one of his songs which i appreciated saying that he's incapable of writing a happy song yeah i love that Um, that part that is (laughs) maybe my favorite part it's not my favorite song but like that section of that song i think it's pollution slash disclaimer i think so um, yeah of him just basically being like this album is dumb like my my it start it starts with it started out as this started out as a vie for attention from an ex i'm the most <laughs> creative when i'm an emotional wreck and every happy song i've written turned out pretty bad um <laughs> 
which feels very honest and I can sort of relate to. Like, I'm not good at, I, um, like, talking authentically about when I'm happy, but I'm perfectly good at, like, writing stories and writing stuff about, like, being sad. And I'm not sad. I don't consider myself a particularly, like, depressed person, but, like, I find, I also find it a much easier place to be creative from. Um, yes. And so I, I very much related to that. Yeah. And I think that song in particular was one of my favorite ones on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, more of those lines that he has. Uh, I think that one has a line that's just also, it's like sad in the way that he says it, saying that, and there's no, there's no other like you, but that's okay because there's billions like me. <laughs> like, just again, just a very negative self view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's these two albums, like Phoebe Bridgers versus Rit Bomney, are an interesting juxtaposition because Phoebe Bridgers does a lot of like very niche specific, like it's a lot of like very specific. This incident happened, and I'm telling all the details of like this specific thing. ICU itself is like a fever dream she had while locked out of her house, <laughs> drunk. Um, and like they're very, you know, Halloween is a song in that album that is very much like about one bad Halloween date. Yeah. Um, and Rip Momneys are much more like ethereal. There's a lot more of those like grand sweeping statement. Like they're more conceptual and less specific. Um, yeah. and so I think it's interesting next to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's definitely there's a lot more higher level kind of talk in his songs. I feel like there's one song, um, if the book doesn't sell, yeah, uh, which it's got auto tune. So, you know, more, more interesting sounds. Um, <laughs> but he, it's his, it's him talking about like leaving the Mormon church, being ostracized from the community. Um, and then just like goes into this whole story of like meeting like God and the devil and, different stuff like that and so yeah mm-hmm. much much more i don't i don't really know even a word for it compared to her but um, yeah i think conceptual but, is basically the right word yes, of like there you go uh, you know viewing it from a a high level i love that song like i as as someone who is not religious and like was um you know i i wouldn't say i like believe all of the things in that song literally, but like yeah. 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old me could for sure like deeply connect with that song. And so that's one I was like curious to get your thoughts on because you are religious. And my guess is that hits very differently f- between the two of us. Uh, yes, it, uh, it does. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, no, I just, um, I thought it was, it's interesting hearing the take of like, you know, he talks about how kids should be free to choose if they believe in their parents' religion or not. Um, because it, it sounds like he wasn't offered a choice. Yeah. Really. Um, and I think there are certain religious communities where like, it's sad that if, um, and you know, that it goes for any, even beyond religion, like, and like sexuality and things like that, that like people would be ostracized by their own families because of a choice about this that they make. 
Um, and so, you know, while I haven't personally experienced that, like, I can see the pain that that would bring someone like him who, you know, to him, it may not be a big deal that, like, he chose to not believe in his family's, like, Mormon religion, but to be, like, cast out of the community and feel like he's not even welcome back in his hometown anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's very sad. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, not to be, like, way overly personal on this podcast, but, like, that is a piece I could sort of relate to, where, like, I wasn't cast out. My family's always been very welcoming, and I think, like, I wasn't formally cast out of things, but, like, when you lose religion and you grow up around a lot of people who are very religious... Um, it's one of those like probably not intentional probably not forced but you can feel like a distance grow and like that to me is like what this album is about both in relation to like religion and like his friends is about like feeling sort of like a passive distance that is not like one huge thing it's not because they like hate him personally but it's like his friends are going to college and like things are changing and he's changing his beliefs and people you know you can like feel yourself going down a different path from Mm -hmm. people and like feel a slow gap start to widen and that like feeling of a gap widening is is like a i think this album like hits that emotion really accurately yeah yeah for sure um, I can definitely see that. And, you know, there's there's other reasons why, like, you know, that happens, especially when you're younger. Um, yeah. You know, like, I, I have plenty of friends that I just, like, passively drifted apart from over time. But, yeah. um, you know, when you have that compared to, like, this, where, especially in certain religions, how it is... I don't know enough about, like, Mormons versus, you know, like, Jehovah's Witnesses and, like, other kind of, like, sects of religion like that. But um, I know that there are some where it is very much a clear-cut, like, you are out of the community kind Mm -hmm. of thing and not, like, a passive thing, too, which definitely puts a different spin on it as well. Yeah, I think the album is stronger that it has both of those pieces that like, yeah, if the book doesn't sell feels like a very blunt dramatic song, but there are Mm -hmm. a lot of like, quieter songs that are more about that passive distance that are a lot of like you said, like his girlfriend leaving and like being okay and like seeing her just sort of like drift away and like be fine yeah. with not being him with him anymore and like that distance being the sad part like it's it's about distance and whether it's super instant dramatic or soft like i think if it was just one of the two of those this album would feel monotonous and part of what makes it feel not is that it has like one theme uh but it that theme plays out very differently in different situations yeah i think the other one that i thought of was uh paper news which is more about, like, him or someone being, like, stuck where they are, and everyone else is, like, growing and moving on around them, and they're just, like, stuck where they're at, wondering how people are moving on. Yeah. And continuing when he can't. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. um, I think... I think that's all my thoughts on this album. Um... Oh, I did uh, 
I didn't realize that the album had ended, and so Spotify just took me straight into his cover of Put Your Records On. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which uh, was a much different feel from <laughs> it is, any of the other songs on this album. It is very different. That's actually how I discovered him, is like that cover mm-hmm. of Put Your Records On went extremely viral on TikTok. Yeah. Um, yeah and it's, it's how like I think most people discovered him and it is a very different vibe where he I think he's given like interviews and stuff and been like, Look, like I'm happy people are listening to my music, but like this was just I was just like bored in quarantine at the beginning of the pandemic and just like loved listening to this song. Like it's so not representative of yeah. his music at all. But it, it's a good cover. I like that song. Yeah, no, I did I did really like the cover, but it's just it's so much more like upbeat and happier than like any of the other music on this album. And it's like this is this is so out of place. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting and, that you say that, because I had the same experience the first not specifically skipping to put your records on, but like I also didn't really realize the album ended and I got like two Mine, like, repeated from the start of the album, and I listened to, like, two songs, and then I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before, and then realized <laughs> it had ended at some point. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that's about it. So I think I'll move on to uh, the third album, which was Frank Ocean's album Blonde, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about as one of your favorite albums. Yes. Um, and so you'll love to hear my first impression, uh, <laughs> which was uh, granted for this sort of album. Uh-huh. This was not the ideal way to listen to it, I would argue. Probably not. Uh, but I was indeed mowing the lawn. Sure. Uh, and was uh, tired from mowing the lawn. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I think tired me, is OK, but in like daylight, is yeah, maybe not. It was. Uh, yeah. Me. Me being tired and like wanting to be just get this over with and be done not not to get the album over with, but get is. the lawn over with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my first impressions and thoughts in that moment was like this is too slow for me. Like this sure. is this is not what I want to listen to right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I know you had mentioned that it was like less focused on like beats and more mm-hmm. on like arrangements and stuff like that. And there were a number of tracks that in that moment I was just like this is too slow. Sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's not not what I wanted to listen to when I wanted to like rock out and have things go faster. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, after I pitched these, I was like, "Blonde feels least like music you that I know you listen to." And I think Blonde also is the most um, it's the most out there. Like I had the most trouble describing Ritmomni, but I think. Frank Ocean's music on Blonde specifically is the least similar to like other quote unquote like mainstream music. There are a couple like singles that are yeah pretty classic like R and B singles, but the album as a whole is a little more esoteric than the other ones. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know I noted that one of my favorite songs in the album I think is probably the big single, which is Pink and White. Sure. Um, I think Ivy and Pink and White are the two big ones. Okay. Um, Yeah, because Pink and White was just, like, much more... Much more the, like, beat and style of music that I... That I would listen to in a moment like that. But though that style of song 
was like pretty few and far between as a yeah. whole on the album. Um, but it, just as an aside, super quick, while you're talking about Pink and White, Pink and White yeah. also the only song in the album that was um, produced and written by Pharrell, uh, and it's part of the reason I think that song sounds so like poppy that versus some of the other ones. <laughs> that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in thinking about how I thought the album was slow, it was weird going back and listening to it again, paying attention to the lyrics because if you're actually paying attention. It is like the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. It is like hard to keep up with, even yeah. reading along with the lyrics, because I'm not going to pretend to like dig into much of the meaning on the tracks because there's just so much meaning packed into every single line of these songs, mm-hmm. um, like double and triple entendres all over the place and <laughs> just like tons and tons of references to things that I couldn't pretend to know off the top of my head without like reading the little like description on genius or something (laughs) with every line of the song. Yeah. Um, Part of the reason I also thought pitching this may be a futile effort is (laughs) so I talked about um, this is one of my favorite albums. I did not like this album when I listened to it the first time um, and probably not the second time. I just like had heard it was like a very critically acclaimed album. Yeah. And I think it is one that kind of has to grow on you. Like it doesn't it's like have, a slow burn. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it doesn't have, uh, again, there's a couple like big hits, Ivy pink and white. I think people really like solo. Um, the initial mm. track Nike's, I think like, the second half of Nike's feels like a radio hit. Yeah. Uh, but the first half definitely does not. Um, and so there are like pieces nights, I think is the other nights is maybe the one that has most endured. Um, and that people like, like most as a song by itself, but as like an album, it take it. I think it takes some like mulling over. And part of that is because of the lyrics, like, the the lyricism reminds me a lot of like later Kendrick Lamar. Um, okay. I think Good Kid, Mad City is a little more straightforward, which is part yeah. of, part of why I pitched it. But like to pimp a butterfly and damn, you see Kendrick doing a lot of that of like triple entendres and like the specific sample that he's using has like adds meaning to the song. Uh-huh. And like Frank Ocean is doing a lot of that in this album and it's too much to like get at once you kind of need to like just listen to it a bunch of times and then (laughs) trust yourself to like get it over time which is not how the format of our podcast works yeah not exactly no um but you had mentioned with the kendrick album last time that like there, I don't know if you mentioned which podcast, but that there was a podcast that dedicated, yeah, like breaking each song down over like a forty-five minute episode per mm-hmm. song, and you know when I listened to, um, more so this than this than the specific Kendrick album that you pitched me, yeah, um, but also that one too. Like I can understand why that would be a thing because. Yeah, I I can imagine every time I would listen to this song, I would catch something new that I wouldn't have caught before. Um, yeah, the podcast I mentioned was called Dissect, um, and they did do a season on Blonde, so they they did this where they like yeah. dug into the tracks one by one. 
And that definitely makes sense, because they're... Uh, just even reading through the lyrics, there's definitely a lot to dive into for each of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Nights, you had mentioned, that was another one I had noted as one of my favorite songs on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got like a split in the middle of the song into like a totally different tone. Um, yeah, it's two songs, basically. Yeah, but then like the chorus is repeated on both halves of the song but mm-hmm. in a completely different way, which I found really interesting. Did you notice that the split between Songs and Night is exactly halfway through the album? I think, I, I feel like I read that in like a, in a little annotation while I was listening to it, but it didn't, I, yeah, I, I, I would not. It, I think it noted that it was like the midpoint, but not like specifically like the exact middle or something. Yeah, it's it's truly like the album is sixty minutes and eight seconds long, and it is the like thirtieth minute and fourth second that the like beat switches on night, and night is halfway through the album. Um, Interesting. I don't know what that means. I don't. I don't. I haven't listened to dissect. I don't know if that has like a super deep meaning. I mean, you know, the thing I would assume is the album has like a back and a front half. Yeah. Um, but the way like I understand it is more as like a cohesive album. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. It's a weird little trivia fact. <laughs> and I think I think my other the other song I had noted on here that I liked more was White Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um just cuz it was another one where there was like a lot of depth in the song. Um, I liked the ending lines, which were, uh, you dream of walls that hold, uh, was it you dream of walls that hold us in prison? Um, it's just a skull. At least that's what they call it. Um, Mm -hmm. just like someone being like too stuck in their head to move deeper. And, um, yeah, I, I was much more surprised by this album on the second listen, given that I was in the same place as you, where I honestly did not enjoy it very much when I was first listening to it, which yeah, I think was partially due to just like this. I didn't listen to the albums in the order you pitched them to me. This was the first one of the albums that I listened to. Sure. Um, and it was just not, it was not what I was expecting. Um, for what I was going to be doing in the moment <laughs> when I yeah. reached for music. So um, interesting. I mean, that's not surprising to me that uh, yeah. if you immediately re- th- again, this is, I think the biggest stretch. And I think like um, this album does not like wait for you to catch up. Like Nike's no. at the beginning is like a fully auto tuned, like uh, just like bass synth and, extremely auto-tune like pitched up start to that song um that like demands you to just like uh engage with it on its level <laughs> and if yeah. you are not in the headspace to do that or not um <laughs> ready for that it, it can probably be <laughs> jarring yeah well and especially when i went back to listen to the lyrics and i got i was like part way through that first song and, like, every line I was reading, I had to think about for a second about, like, what he was meaning by what he was saying. And, mm. um, yeah, I can I can definitely see how this would be, like, a slow burn sort of album. Yeah. I think, for me, the best example of that is Future Free. Um, mm-hmm. Hated that song. Last song on the album. Truly did not like it at all. Um, 
the first couple of times I listened to it. And I can't, like, explain to you. There's not, like, a deep meaning that I suddenly understood and then liked. It was just, yeah. like, listening to it over and over and over again from, the like, listening to the album as a whole. I think, like, I start to... I started to get, like, this feel for how the songs, like, talk to each other and, like, speak between each other that makes it feel like one big cohesive whole. Like, I don't think none of these songs I really, like, go back to and listen to individually. But, like, when I'm in the mood to listen to Blonde, there isn't another album. There isn't, like, a genre of music. It's like, I want to listen to this thing. And, like... There aren't really any other albums that I think about this in that way. And so I think that part of this is interesting, but it, it really is like, yeah, it, it you know, Future Free, again, is a lot of like, basically like spoken word, auto-tuned. Yeah, um, it's, it's like, like a ranting. stream of consciousness, basically. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like stuff off the cuff, like just almost like therapy, just <laughs> saying almost kind of whatever. Um, and then like a, an interview clip for the second half, if I remember right. The second half is a, um, I believe the second half of Future Free is just like clips from like a school project when he was a kid. So like, um, the album as a whole is about like youth, basically. Like, mm-hmm. Blonde is about, like, him growing up and, like, looking yeah. back at being a kid, like, nostalgically and, like, the joy and the fun and the heartbreak and, like, all of the intense emotions of being a kid. And so it ends with Future Free of, like, just sort of, like, these uh, cut-together, like, little interviews of kids being, like, what superpower would you have? And, like, tell me <laughs> tell me what you, where yeah. you live and, like, tell me what you want to be when you grow up. Like, just, a, just like, a look at um kids just sort of like goofing around and being kids which goes on for like five minutes um (laughs) and is how the album ends and so i think like um you know it it's one of those things that again like works within the album but if you're like looking at these songs trying to like decide if you like listening to the music like that's not it's not music really yeah well yeah and there's some entire songs that are like they aren't they literally are not songs uh, yeah there was one be yourself uh, <laughs> that just is emulating like a voicemail uh i think sent to frank um or that's what it's like shown as telling him or whoever it's to um mm-hmm. to like not do drugs and be himself and um yeah, like we were talking about before, like if you were looking for a 45-second clip to pitch someone on <laughs> what you're going to get out of an album. Yeah, you'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. I like yeah, pitched here's... you some sort of like dare program soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, here's here's someone telling you not to do drugs. Here's some kids interviewing each other about superpowers. <laughs> Some, something guy... went wrong along the way. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I definitely, I can definitely see how this would be something that you would, and I, and I got that out of listening to the songs too, that like, I liked some of the like songs on their own. Um, I think most specifically pink and white, just because it, it was like a more catchy song in that sense, but like the album as a whole, it like, 
it is its own thing as opposed mm-hmm. to like a bunch of individual singles that an artist put together into an album yeah. to release them all in one spot. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I think uh I think that's about all I've got for that one, so we can move on to the last album, which was Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid Mad City. Yeah. This um, was a little faster if you didn't want any more slow songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, this was much closer to what I would call like driving music uh, <laughs> when I'm looking for music, um, which I had mentioned that I've listened to some Kendrick before. Mm-hmm. Never really dove into like the lyrics of the songs. Yeah. Um, just I liked the sound of the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this uh, is a very interesting album. Um you know, so that was like my first impressions was that like these are the kind of beats I'm looking for when I'm like driving, <laughs> doing yard work, whatever. Yeah. Um probably not something I'm gonna listen to with my children anytime soon, but Sure, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but um when I actually sat down to like follow along with the lyrics and pay more attention, you can really follow like the story he's laying out really well. Mm-hmm. Like for anyone who hasn't listened to the album, you've got it starts with like Shireen, which is I think his girlfriend at the time. It I think it's just is, a girl. Uh, yeah. Um and Kendrick or K Dot. I think mm-hmm. he has lots of names. K Dot, Kung Fu Kenny. Yeah, he has a uh well it's That's late that's a later. Kung Fu one. Kenny's its own whole thing. Yeah. I think Kung Fu Kenny's a character in Damn yeah. more so than a name for Kendrick. But yes, K Dot um so for context, K Dot is what Kendrick went by. Like when he started coming up in uh as a rapper, his like name was K Dot. Um that he then shifted and became Kendrick Lamar. Okay. Uh, I think I think for the album before Good Kid, Bad City. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, the the first song opens um, with like Kendrick going to Shireen's place, or well, meeting her, going to her place at some point, and like getting there, expecting to go meet up with her, and instead two like gang members in hoodies are there and jump him basically. Yep. And like just as that happens, the song cuts and we hear a voicemail from Kendrick's mom and dad, like trying to figure out where he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, asking him to bring home the dominoes, which I'm assuming is actually a reference to drugs and not the pizza. I think it might be the pizza, to be honest. <laughs> I like I truly I mean, um his mom talks about being hungry at one point, and mm. I, I, to be honest, I think it is meant to be either and both. Yeah. Um, do you know those voicemails are actually his parents? I assumed so. Um, oh, yeah, I think, because his actual last name is Duckworth, right? Correct. Okay, yeah, I think I saw that. I, I think I saw that name listed as, like, who was saying that part. I fully didn't think that that was true, because clearly they're not real voicemails. Like, clearly they're right. scripted um pieces for the album i it uh it was interesting to me i learned like a couple weeks ago that those are fully just like his parents that he got to do those which i think is kind of a fun um they're surprisingly good (laughs) for that like i thought they were like voice actors Um, oh yeah and i was like they do a good job for like just two like parents that you got to like do this thing on this album 
Yeah, no, it was it it is like convincing in that like that could be a voicemail of like someone's parents calling them with the dad just like goofing around in the background while the mom's trying to leave you a voicemail asking where you are and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, you like the story continues. Um, you know, like he got jumped by these guys. Cops show up and harass him too. He gets back to his friends. They get drunk at a party, and you can correct me if I'm if I didn't get something right, but they <laughs> uh, decide they're going to go get the guys who jumped Kendrick and there ends up being like a shootout. And one of the guys with Kendrick, who's the brother of another guy that's with them, gets shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Kendrick realizes that something needs to change. Um, and there's a whole song where it's like finding religion. And I don't know if he actually mentions it, like dropping drugs and alcohol but like viewing mm-hmm. the whole situation in a new way retrospectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the story is told, I think really well. Um, it's I, there's a lot of different bits and pieces. I think the song I liked the least when mm-hmm. I first heard it was backseat freestyle. Okay, sure. Um, but I think I was reading a bit of him talking about that song. Mm hmm. Um, and it like made sense in that context why the song was what it was because mm-hmm. he talks about how it was him being like in the mind state of being 16 years old with no cares in the world um, and the, just that like some of the lines are so ridiculous but like that's the point yeah um, it's him like capturing that moment of being 16 and thinking freestyle is super cool mm-hmm. you can just say like the most outlandish crap when you're around your friends and yeah that is like once once i like read some of like what he said about that song i was like oh that okay that all makes sense yeah i think kendrick unlike i think most other musicians that i know like um it reminds me of bo burnham in a way we mentioned inside where like bo embodies like a character when he Mm -hmm. is performing and I get a, a similar, like, basically no Kendrick song is, like, honest, is, like, unfiltered Kendrick just, like, saying a thing fully from the heart. It's, like, part of a thing within a thing. Like, it's 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 the point of view of the character he's playing on the album. And, like, those points of view come from places, but, like, just because he has a song titled money trees does not mean that's like what kendrick believes fully and like this this song this album ends functionally with kendrick like embracing god turning away from uh things and like endeavoring to help his community and family and like be different uh, the next album, To Pimp a Butterfly, starts with a song called Wesley's Theory, which, like, undoes all of this. So, like, I, I think, um, you know, Kendrick has also talked a lot about, like, uh, the like the duality of, like, these pieces. That, like, he can believe all of these things and still, like, fall into patterns of behavior and, and mm-hmm. traps and things like that. So, I think, like, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to digest. And I think these... It, these songs, the thing he does, I think, more than Frank Ocean, to compare both of them, 
there are Frank Ocean songs that truly only work in the context of the album, or I, in my opinion, only work in the context of the album. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Kendrick songs work separate and then have like a fully different context and meaning when viewed in the context of the narrative within the album. And I think you see that more in his later albums, but it kind of starts here with songs like Backseat Freestyle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just like how a lot of the songs, like the ending of one song gives a lot of context to the next song. Mm-hmm. Um, that like if you were just listening to the single song, you wouldn't get that. Um, that I think, yeah, it really adds to the album and the overall, you know, if you listen to the album as a whole, you get that whole complete story listening to it that you wouldn't get listening to just an individual song you had mentioned uh the way the album ends mm-hmm. uh and i just wanted to mention another great instrument which was the talk box that he uses sure. at the very end which yeah. is like one of my favorites so yeah I'm, you don't uh, see that used a lot in rap music or like popular music of any kind to <laughs> yeah. be honest <laughs> yeah uh so yeah when i heard that like kick in at the end i was like oh all right sweet this is uh this hits the sweet spot for me of yeah. just weirdness in music. So it's a very like West coast um, vibe. And so the fact that that song also features Dr. Dre, um, <laughs> I think a, his production is like very West coast rap aesthetic and like clearly is very inspired by like Tupac and Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and, and yeah. things like that, that the talk box um, is, is kind of part of that. Yeah. Um, For any of our listeners who don't know what a talk box is, there is a great song on YouTube by a guy named Lorenz Road called How to Talk Box. Uh, (laughs) I'd recommend just going and watching the video. It's pretty good. And you'll uh, you'll learn everything you need to know about what a talk box is. Um, But yeah, back to the album. Um, I was reading... who was it logic i think there was like an article that popped up when i was reading this talking about how much he absolutely hated this album when he first listened to it sure yeah um for all the reasons that i like it which is like the little skits that are like done throughout it like the like all the voicemails and yeah different stuff like that that you know i like that interesting stuff that gets mixed into the music Mm -hmm. um there was one's uh well i had noted one of my favorite songs on this one was um sing about me slash i'm dying of thirst yeah um i was uh, there's a it starts with um dave is the one who was killed yep uh that was with them and so it starts with dave's brother talking about like when he watched Kendrick go and like hold his brother after he got shot, like while his brother is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, his, his line ends or his like whole part on the track ends saying like, and if I die before your album drops, um, I hope. And then you just hear gunshots yeah. and then you never hear him come back again. And there's like um, a beat where there should be more lines. Like the yeah. the the line isn't over. Like there's there's like uh, eight more bars. Yeah. That just the instrumental plays over with no lyrics. Yeah. Um. 
And yeah, yeah when, it, so, when I was first listening to this album, I was like surprised when I heard that because mm-hmm. I was like, I happened to actually be paying attention when, <laughs> uh, when I was listening to those lines the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's uh, every song was different, and um, you know, you've got Money Trees, I think, was um. It was like a, it was almost like a recap song of like what had happened in the story so far, yeah. like foreshadowing what was coming up. Because mm-hmm. um, basically, what happens is like it starts with Shireen, and then it sort of like rewinds, and like "Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe" through "Good Kid" is is basically like a prequel to Shireen, and then like "Mad City" mm-hmm. is also happening mid shireen the first song so like yeah um yeah money trees helps sort of like solidify part of the themes of the album as a whole yeah yeah because then i think the end of mad city um was when they was when kendrick in the story had like met back up with his buddies after he got jumped yeah well the chorus of mad city is is the people jumping him like the oh, yeah. where are you from, where your grandma stay. Yeah. Like that's that's it the voiceover is supposed to be like the the people who like jump him outside Shireen's house. Yeah. Um but yeah, he that na- the next song after that is Swimming Pools Drank. Mm-hmm. Um that is the song of like them all getting drunk, but it's also like a dive into like bigger topics like peer pressure and alcoholism and um like the problematic cadence of parties like this where you like just keep drinking or you'll get made fun of and whatnot for not drinking enough to keep up with your buddies and which obviously given the story ends very poorly for them Mm -hmm. um with the profound consequences of like dave getting shot and killed and um yeah i think uh yeah i think on swimming pools is also one of the first times or maybe the first like really big popular time you see kendrick do a thing that he will do a lot in future albums where he like embodies a different character mid-song where he like adjusts his voice and like becomes the voice of like alcohol whispering to himself yes yeah um he does that a lot throughout to pimp a butterfly and throughout damn to like really good effect and so it's fun to see that muscle start to like get stretched here yeah yeah i think um what is it uh the song real isn't like a Mm mid-song cut but like it's after the like kind of turn to religion prayer bit that's in sing about me i'm dying of thirst yeah and like his whole tone changes in going into those last two songs like sounding much more mature and like deeper especially compared to like a much earlier song in backseat freestyle Mm -hmm. um like yeah his his tone definitely changes a lot depending on like the situation and like what kind of like age or time period he's like portraying at the time and mm-hmm. um just like another that was just another thing that i found really interesting that i've really liked about his music mm-hmm. 
just that he has such a wide range in that um that i find really interesting yeah yeah it's it's um there's more depth to his music and i don't necessarily mean that in terms of just lyrics but also just like the musicality and how Mm -hmm. he uses like his voice and his tone as an instrument not just to give off a different vibe but again to like play characters and how to like do different things like that like his background is in poetry like he grew up in school and like got obsessed with writing poetry and like before he got obsessed with like rap as a thing yeah and like you can feel the like weight of that throughout his music that i think is uncommon in in like any genre of music including you know not just limited to rap yeah and i think i think that definitely it comes through in his music for sure Mm -hmm. um in like every way so um yeah i didn't um i didn't realize i had looked up a little bit about him i didn't realize that he was actually like drug free alcohol free like advocates for or like against like the glorification of drugs and stuff in music to the extent that like rap music is a lot of times associated with yeah well he so i don't actually think he's alcohol free based on uh the subsequent four albums but he does <laughs> well that was at least something i read so yeah yeah i think um so like there's a there is part of the narrative is so mad in the album title is abbreviated m.a.a.d yeah um which uh My did you look up on angel dust i think yeah, it's two things. It's it's both um, my angels on angel dust and my angry adolescence divided, um, and angels on angel dust is because of a story of when he was like given a blunt that was like laced with cocaine, um, oh, yeah. and got like painfully, uh, like unpleasantly dangerously high and like dangerous to overdose, and I think like scared him off enough from drugs he like doesn't really smoke weed and like doesn't do drugs i think largely from that experience more than anything else gotcha but he for sure still drinks based on uh songs from uh, (laughs) (laughs) some of the subsequent albums but i do think um so the thing that happens at the end of this album that um I'm trying to find the lyric and I don't remember, but the thing he, he functionally does, he like says the Lord's prayer and like devotes himself to, to God, which to him literally means like the Christian God, but also means like, um, he like declares himself a prophet and says like, I can be a, like a mouthpiece of God to like raise up my community and the like city of Compton. And I think he feels to pimp a butterfly again, to like skip ahead all of to pimp a butterfly and good kid, mad city are like very much in conversation with each other. And to pimp a butterfly is about like his, uh, initial like failure. And then like recommitment to that goal of like unironically trying to like be a prophet for God to his people. Um, well, yeah, and he, like, refers to himself, I think, as, like, Compton's human sacrifice, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, kind of in line with a very famous 
kind of, you know, human sacrifice in the Christian religion. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely got me interested in like going and re-listening to his like more recent albums and like hearing the differences. So, yeah, cuz there are a lot of differences. His more recent albums, if you like weird shit, um especially to Pimp a Butterfly is full of skits, is full of like very um like esoteric tracks that are like very different from each other and are very the narrative is much less clear uh i think the symbolic narrative is more clear and the literal narrative is less clear and then dan is like a whole other level of like debate over whether you should listen to it backwards or forwards and um (laughs) you know so yeah it, it goes different places but this is a good good first step i think all right. Well, if that is that wraps it up on your your chat about Good Kid, Mad City, I think it's time to move on to your your verdicts. So, album by album, I guess you can you can choose to do my little weird tour of these four albums if you'd like as one thing. But probably more helpful to do album by album. Would you give each of these a yeah or a nah? Yeah. So we'll we'll go back to the top. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Um, I think this one is an easy yaw for me. Um, sure. You know, the that like indie style, and I mentioned just like really enjoying her vocals in general, um, her songwriting and all of that um, very much fits into that kind of indie category when I'm looking for that sort of music. So, um, so that album for sure is a yaw for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Rit Momney's album uh, <laughs> is Her and All of My Friends. Um, it is a different album, but still kind of fits into that indie genre in a way for me. It's, I'll still give this one a yaw, mm-hmm. um, uh, just cause I like, I like kind of the weirdness in the music. Um, I like his, um, kind of storytelling in some ways and, um, uh, there's just like a couple songs that I really enjoyed. I there was a song that was like an instrumental song halfway through the album. Yeah. Um, that I just thought was it was very like beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, his album will be a yaw for me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Ocean's album Blonde. This was definitely the toughest for me of the four. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if I had just done the first impressions listen, mm-hmm. this would have fallen to a gnaw for me. Yeah. Um, but doing the second listen and really paying attention as much as I could and actually trying to like get something out of the album, I think flipped my perspective on it enough that it moved into the yaw category. Nice. Um, you know, it's the kind of album where like, it's not, it's not something I'm going to reach for often. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I've talked about multiple times, like it's just not the, the style of music that I typically lean into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked it enough that like, I can see myself listening to it again in the future, like 
but in a moment where I can follow along to the lyrics and like try to get more out of each song. Sure. Because he just it's there's so much condensed into every line. Yeah, for me, it, I totally relate to that. Of like, it's a very specific vibe. Like, it's yeah. for me, it's like a I'm walking to or from work in the city, and the sun is either like rising or setting, <laughs> and I have my headphones in, and like that's the vibe. I need yeah. like some sort of very specific. I'm not like listening to it while I'm working or listening to it while I'm like, I don't know, like playing a video At game the gym. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting like <laughs> pumped up listening to right. somebody be like many college students, blah 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 blah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so yeah, that one was definitely the the closest for me. But mm-hmm. uh, then getting to the end with Kendrick's "Good Kid, Mad City," um, this one also is definitely a yaw for me. Um, the I really liked the storytelling throughout and like I mentioned like the different like bits that are used throughout the album and um you know mm-hmm. and also just like the musicality beats and whatnot of it as a whole fit mm-hmm. the kind of music I would typically listen to or at least like the the tenor of the music I would typically listen to so mm-hmm. Uh, so, unfortunately, Tim, I still was not able to convince myself to give you your first gnaw on anything. So, here you know, we are. I'm just blessed with the curse of perfect taste. <laughs> um, no, I think I'm glad. Because, again, I really like all four of these albums. They're all four, like, uh, ones, you know, some of them I'm newer to. Like, I just started listening to Phoebe Bridger in the last, like, year or so. Some of them are, like long-time classics you know i was a huge fan of good kid mad city when like we were roommates a decade ago um so like but all of them are are big staples for me so i'm glad that you liked them i mean for me all this means i have license to go weirder and i can go way weirder uh for (laughs) music so keep an eye out for that down the road and apparently based on my last pitches of music i went too weird so maybe i'll have to to find a new angle next the time. Th- it's all music. different weird. I think it's it's like uh the weirder you go, <laughs> the harder the the impression is. Like it's it's it can either really hit or really miss. And um uh yeah, I can I can get to some weird places. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Alright. Sounds good to me. But yeah, thanks for the pitch, Tim. My pleasure. Do you guys think the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee has some sort of theme song? I was trying to think of like a, some sort of like for cozy, but I'm assuming there's some sort of like I suppose it's probably God Save the Queen, huh? Um, I think they should have done a crossover with X Men, given that they went with the Jubilee name. Wow! Just done like the X Men, <laughs> the like '90s X Men cartoon theme song. Do you think they named it because of the X Men or? Do you think it was something else? I think it's just a, I think it's just a happy coincidence. Got it. The there has to be someone chariot. who. <laughs> Do you think the golden chariot has speakers in it that like play it through the parade? Play the X Men theme Ooh, song. Th- yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah, the probably. theme song of the Jubilee is, I don't. I don't know, know much about British culture, but I do know they love the '90s X Men animated cartoon, yeah. so I think that makes sense. Um, speaking tracks. speaking of getting off the rails, cozy. It is middle segment time. 
I feel almost offended that that's how you introduced it. But Why? It's fair, so what is the I... middle segment if not a little diversion from the rails? Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay, so I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not sure. You guys know. Uh, our listeners might know. I'm an architect. Um, I, your silence tells me you don't know where this is going. So I, Clearly, no, I don't. How would I know where this is going? Yes, I, I know, know your profession, but it doesn't... <laughs> Okay. Are you going to talk about how they built the hologram of the queen using architecture? Or? It's that's not Ooh. architecture. That's more Cody's realm. That's <laughs> true. Cody's a big hologram CAD. guy. <laughs> favorite CAD program. Um, <laughs> no. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so I was. We've been meaning to stream on Twitch more. Correct. And I yep. have an idea, but I need help to. From you slash maybe our listeners on how to um, on what to stream. So, like many architects who are my age, I grew up playing The Sims, and mm. I do not care in The Sims about the creating the lives for the people. I mostly care about just building fun little houses. <laughs> um, so I was thinking I could stream on Twitch some weird sims builds and i need suggestions on what weird things i could do so you guys are gonna help me brainstorm i have some ideas i've written down but um i think maybe you guys or our listeners could come up with great ideas also so um i have a couple here just as like examples of like what people this is like kind of a thing that like there are sort of like challenges out there that people will like try to do in the sims whether it's streamed or like not um but I've just pulled a couple that I think could be interesting to stream, and some of them have room for suggestions. So, okay, sure. So hit us with the hit us with the suggestions so I can get like a framework. So I'm not totally off yeah. base. So a lot of like the build challenges might be like have a max amount of budget or like try to do it with like try to do sp- specific decorations or something. But I don't love those. Um, some that are interesting to me are like making a really small house, but that is like fully functional for The Sims. Because um, if you're familiar with The Sims, they like have certain like needs that need to be met for like showering and eating and stuff. So uh, the goal would be to have enough item objects that they can interact with to like fulfill all their needs, but have it be really small. Okay, so that was my first suggestion before you said that was going to be. Uh, Tiny house. The challenge being, you know, when you have a plot in The Sims, it's typically like a limited size. So, like, seeing how many tiny houses you can oh, fit into yeah. a single plot. <laughs> That's a good one, too. So, um, oh, go ahead. Okay, so other examples. A house that's fully black and white. I can only use <laughs> objects that look like they're in grayscale. Interesting. Okay. Sounds dour. Maybe goes with some of the albums I pitched. Yeah, and then the other one is just like, see if I can do a ho- how much of a house I can make in 10 minutes. Interesting. Okay. It's like a speed challenge. Um, and then the other one I think may have more input from you guys slash listeners is I could try to recreate famous pop culture architecture in The Sims, and I think that mm. would be pretty fun. Um, so I don't know what famous pop culture architecture you guys have that you think would be cool to see recreated. Um, I think 
we could go big here and I could have to abstract some things because I think there are things that you can definitely not one for one recreate in The Sims, but we could get creative about it. So um, I have some examples, but I don't want to like take things that if you guys have ideas um, too. So I was just going to like see if you guys had fun pop culture architecture that you uh, can picture that you think would be cool for me to recreate in The Sims. Well, uh, go can ahead, you recreate Tony. the museum of pop culture <laughs> in Seattle? That's got a unique shape, and it's uh, specifically pop culture. <laughs> I meant like that from seems like, like movies it might... and stuff, but uh, that. Hang on, I have to like Google this now. The the shape of that building might be a tad difficult to pull. Cody off knows in, a building uh, that Cozy doesn't know. Oh, it's weird. I wow. would, you see, my first thought was to go with the Seattle Public Library. Yeah, see, I was just oh, yeah. recently in Seattle, and so this is all I have on the brain right now. I don't I go see. anywhere else, so. Oh, You're a real yeah, sea the, head. Okay, the Museum <laughs> of Pop Culture. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm not familiar with this specific building, but I'm looking at the photos, and I'm going to guess it's Frank Gehry. Um, wow, that is such a snobby vibes. thing to say. I don't know if I'm more hopeful that you're right or wrong. Um, I mean, it's he's kind of the only architect that does that, so I would be really surprised. Who does buildings? Wrong. It was Frank Gehry, you're correct. Yeah. It sure was. I mean, there's that one building at the U of M that looks like this. That's Frank Gehry. True. Um, so, I yes, a Frank Gehry building would be hard. Um. <laughs> I was also thinking more like fiction pop culture. Oh, but I see. I'm open to this oh, fiction pop culture. Like see, I thought you too. just meant like the Flatiron Building or like uh, I can't think of does, any other buildings. Does The Sims allow for moving staircases like in Hogwarts? <laughs> I don't know if you can make them move, but I could try to do some kind of like abstract Hogwarts because maybe I you think, just. I don't think I can get it that big necessarily but i could try oh. see i was to gonna say like the death star get. but that may also Ooh. be too big mm. perhaps <laughs> it might it, it might allow for that many floors the size of a planet um <laughs> yeah so here's my thought i don't know a lot of pop culture architecture but i think the thing that impresses me more about your architecture is your creativity so instead of giving you oh. bu- buildings to recreate i would love to see what you create with like a prompt like Okay. Build me what you think Pierre Gasly's house, dream house <laughs> is. I'm assuming it's a lot of like mirrors, um, uh, <laughs> lots of scenic uh, thirst trap locations, um, uh-huh. or like lots of really bland Alphatari clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of like high fashion that is really just like white collared button up shirts. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Uh, or or something like that. Like that's immediately where my mind okay. went. Or like build me Kylo Ren's summer home, um, <laughs> or like some sort of like weird uh, esoteric thing like that. Okay, I can get on board with that too. Um, that seems fun. My my pop culture thing that I was thinking could be cool is is the house from Encanto. Um, mm. I think Tim, you probably are not familiar. Uh, no. But I know Cody has seen Encanto, and it's like a magical house. It has lots of like themed rooms and stuff that could be kind of cool to try to do in The Sims. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you'd have to figure out a way to uh, make a room a hundred times larger once you go through the door. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
that could be a challenge, but we'll see what we can do. I think the only other idea I had was uh, if you go if you go on Airbnb <laughs> and it it they have like an option to just like choose whatever is the weirdest thing that they'll that they have on the site and just like try to recreate some of those houses. Some of them might be too difficult, like uh, a nuclear well, not nuclear, but a missile silo that mm-hmm. you yeah. can go stay in. Uh, but there are some very interesting houses on there that you could try to recreate. Yeah, that could work too. I didn't even think of just like Airbnb, browsing Airbnb for inspiration. What about like a Hobbit's hovel? What if you wanted ah. to recreate like a neighborhood of little like Hobbit houses? Yeah. Yeah, do they have terraforming in Sims? We will to, find like, out, I suppose. Big hill? <laughs> I think it could be funny if to go on this with doing... Because I haven't done a lot of computer sims. I've done a lot of it on the iPad. So I don't even know what the options are necessarily on the computer sims. But I think that makes this better. Is that not only do I have to figure out how to recreate these things. But I also have to figure out what my options are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to think of other like weird fictional characters. Like could you do like I don't know. What's, What's another like IP um you could do it would be fun to do like a sports per- what if you did like Vivian Meadema Star Striker for Arsenal her home I'm assuming it's just like one square room with no then, decoration that may be less exciting Yeah and then like only and then soccer training areas <laughs> Like it's all soccer <laughs> yeah. training space uh, For the listeners then, who who um, may not know Vivian Meadema Vivian Meadema's is the best women's soccer player in the world, I would say, and has absolutely no personality. She just, like, plays soccer. She doesn't celebrate goals. She just, like, is the best. Um, And she's, like, a robot. Um, So that could be fun. You could build, like, Vivian Miedema's cyborg house. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'll think of other fictional characters for you to riff on, which is fully not what you asked for, but here we are. Well, no, I like it. Um, listeners, if you have uh, fictional or non-fictional people you think I should try to make a house for, or uh, pop culture f- fiction houses you think I should try to recreate, uh, tweet us at show or email us at show at gmail.com, and I will collect the ideas, decide which seems the most interesting slash doable, and uh, stream it on Twitch. Nice. Looking, I'm looking forward to seeing your um, interpretation of uh, Brad Pitt's pool house um, next time that, that we stream on Twitch. I'm looking forward uh, to our, stri- our Twitch being active for once in <laughs> a millennia. Thanks. Very helpful. Thanks, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for our final segment, Cody, what is your hard sell for this week? My hard sell. Uh, we've talked in the past about um, a show called Arcane, which is based yeah. off of League of Legends. Uh, Please don't make know, me grind League of Legends. <laughs> I I won't, uh, mm-hmm. because I won't. I also don't want to do that and then <laughs> Fair. to like get things to talk about. Mm-hmm. But did you know... That there is at least one other video game turned movie slash TV show that actually turned out well. No, I mean, I guess I'm not sure. Not off the top of my head. 
I know. That's that's the problem. There's lots of bad examples yeah. of like video games turned into TV shows or movies. Please don't like, pitch me the Halo show. Is that what you're about to pitch me? <laughs> no. Okay, thank God. I'm, I can't emotionally handle watching Master Chief fuck on TV. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I haven't uh, partaken in that yet either. I guess spoilers, so. but Master yeah. Chief fucks. So don't watch out for that. <laughs> Yeah, didn't uh, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, so there's like <laughs> there's like cult classics like the Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat movies that are like mm-hmm. universally panned, but also like fun. Yeah, there's like more recently the Sonic movies that have been like surprisingly fine. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But today uh, I have one of one of the better examples outside of Arcane. Okay. As far as I'm concerned. Um, so, like Hilda, it's another Netflix original animated show, but the tone is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I am pitching you the first season of Castlevania. Mm. Uh, Interesting. For, for anyone who isn't aware, uh, the Castlevania series of games started back on the original Nintendo. First game came out in, like, 1986. Um, they're like a gothic horror series focused around Dracula, um, and the Belmont clan who are vampire hunters. First couple games are based on like Simon Belmont. Um, the majority of the games are side-scrolling 2D platformers, which is Tim's favorite. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) but the first season of the show specifically is based around Castlevania three Dracula's curse. And then it pulls some elements from some of their other games as well. Um, and I don't want to give a whole lot away, but it specifically follows Trevor Belmont and Dracula as sort of like opposing forces. Um, um, this is very interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, I have never once played a Castlevania game. Um, I wouldn't have expected that you would have, given what they are. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Uh, not really up my alley. I also am not a big like vampire guy broadly. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't. You know that like V Rising game people seem to like, but I'm just like the aesthetic really does nothing for me. However, I have heard good things about this show, and in fact, Kyle, previous host of this podcast relatively recently reached out to me and was like, hey, you should watch this show. Um, (laughs) If I was still on the podcast, I would pitch it to you. And I was like, okay, I'll add it to my list. However, you are forcing my hand, so he will be happy to hear that. Well, good. I I swear I didn't collab with him on this pitch. (laughs) This was was all me, so... Nice. Um, But yeah, the uh, like, the animation is like pretty flashy and well done. The voice acting is really good. There's definitely like some horror elements uh, throughout most of the show, not in like a spooky, scary way, but more like a dark and bloody, sometimes a bit over the top kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, But oddly in a way that didn't really bother me, like watching parts of invincible did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it is a show that when I when the first season came out, it was probably like eleven o'clock at night. I had to work the next morning. I watched the first episode and I was like, mm, "Yeah, I'm gonna finish this whole show." 
and then <laughs> I'll just not get a lot of sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, well, nice. I'm pumped. I was, I think, literally yesterday saying to Cozy, like, I wish the next season of Arcane was coming out faster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I was, like, in the mood to, like, watch more Arcane. And I think the aesthetic of the show, very different from Arcane. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm totally down. I, again, this has been sort of passively on my list since Kyle gave me the uh, off-podcast hard sell on it. Um, now we also have an on-podcast hard sell. My curiosity <laughs> is definitely peaked. I'm watching the first season, is that right? Yes. Cool. I think it's I think it's eight episodes. God, I thought you were about to say I think there are eight total seasons. And I was like, holy. That's no, a there's, lot, but... there's four. So, and I, gotcha. think, I think the fourth was the end of the show i actually have not watched the fourth season yet but okay interesting yeah nice i'm i'm psyched to check it out because uh, yeah i've heard i've heard lots of good things and i um as as was discussed in earlier episodes of the podcast i like want to be i like want to try to get into anime and maybe like um netflixy animation is an easier draw than like super translated japanese anime um <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm very interested all right yeah i'm i'll be interested to discuss this one with you it's it has some interesting topics that it covers and uh it's uh it's not like a show i've watched in a while so nice all right i'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hard Sell. As always, rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, you can get in touch with us at hardsellshow at gmail.com or hardsellshow on Twitter. Send us an email or a tweet or a telegram um, giving suggestions for what Cozy should build or interpret creatively in the sims and we will stream it one of these one of these days we'll tweet out when we actually are going to stream so keep an eye on the twitter feed um what else do i say i guess just next time next time we'll be back two weeks i just my brain completely disappeared um but it's back now two weeks from today we will be back with a new episode with my verdict uh on castlevania the the show on netflix as well as my next pitch for cody uh, but until then, we will catch you on the flippity flop. Catch you on the flippity flop. We'll do the outro quick. Unless you want to make it take a long time. Thank you for listening to... Cozy, right. you're going to speed this up in post, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's how we're going to do this? <laughs>